That was really frustrating because he needed so much effort to get stuff off the ground. The pleasure of React, I think, is really that it nails that layer of having these UI components that's very easy to reason about. You can simply build stuff again and it's fun. I struggled with this problem myself, rich text editing. Browsers are really horrible. In three years, rich text editing must be a no-brainer. That's what I want to see. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. So welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio, and uh, here we have Matt Billman once again. Matt, welcome. Hi again. And then we have Nick Graff. Nick, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So we met in person, like IRL. Actually, we're in person today, so yeah. I don't have to. <laughs> I don't have to preface that. But we met a couple weeks ago, just randomly. I was doing a, a serverless meetup, our exactly, meeting yeah. with the serverless guys, and then I found that you worked there. And then they told me you maintain Draft.js plugins, which got me really intrigued. So can you introduce yourself and then tell me a little bit about Draft.js plugins? Absolutely. So yeah, I'm Nick Graf. I do a lot of front-end stuff, but actually my background is full stack, so, so I maintained a lot of and, and built a lot of back-end stuff as well. Yeah. But especially over the last like two to three years, I've doubled down on front-end. And yeah, about one and a half. Two years ago, I decided to like check out React, and and that actually got me kickstarted again because by the time I was laying it low and do more sales and, and freelancing. Oh, and really? Yeah, wow. absolutely. Yeah, it's like team management, and we had this. I'm part of this uh, freelancer community called Starter Squad. Okay. And there, back then, I started to do more team management and like like helping people and coordinating. But yeah, with React, it was a lot. More fun again to do front end because I could see like I could build great components, encapsulate everything in there that was messy, and yeah. then give that to our team and let even I could reuse it and and it was amazing. Yeah. Cool. So it sounds like React kind of revived your career. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Absolutely. Back to back to UX and front end and. Well, that's interesting, and I think. Uh... I told you off air that I listened to your interview with React 30, but I know so Michael Jackson, who also who hosts that, he had a very similar experience where he was like getting to the point where he was kind of done with programming at that point. Like yeah. he had worked for Twitter and some other other startups after that, and he got to the point where he's just like, ah, I'm not sure if I really want to do this anymore. And React basically also revived his career as well. So that's it's really interesting how React is like a different, not only is a different approach, but also gets people excited about doing front end UX again. Yeah, because. Simply, at least for me, like I worked so hard to to get good UX working, but it yeah it was so hard to do, and by the end, that was really frustrating because you needed so much effort to get stuff off the ground. But yeah. nowadays, it's it's way way more easier, and that is it's really good for the whole ecosystem, yeah. uh, as well as for me personally, and I guess also for Michael, yeah. uh, because you you can simply build stuff again and it's fun. Yeah, and I think we're having the same thing. So with Matt, uh, I work with Matt, and. Uh, Matt built our entire app in Angular, and now we've converted it to React. And there's, it's definitely an interesting approach. I think the the approach of actual the UI of React makes it fun to actually throw components around and inject them and stuff like that. Matt, did you have same, similar experience with React when you switched over? Yeah, I like a lot how isolated components are mainly. Right, I think that's what it really, really got right after lots of people have sort of been attempting it, and we've like. 
I've been attempting it myself. Like I built a big single page app when before any of the frameworks were around, right? And and came up with somewhat similar architecture, but really messy. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and I gotta admit that the pleasure of React, I think, is really that it nails that layer of of, of having these UI components that's very easy to reason about. Because I think anyone who's tried to build a large app without something like Redux and, and React in, in a single page way has run into problems of just figuring out like how does a UI component come into some weird state where weird callbacks are not behaving in the right order and things like that. And I think React really brings a model that makes it easy to, to actually reason about what's going on in your code base. Yeah. Uh, let me do a shout out to Jeremy Ashkinas here. Because okay. like I think uh, we came a really long way and like the the first step for me happened with Backbone. I remember the day when when I was still filling with jQuery code and like okay. uh, looking at the looking things up in the DOM based on on attributes and then removing stuff and and in hindsight that's crazy. <laughs> but yeah and and like the first time I saw Backbone and actually went through the code and I don't know there was like some 0.0 something it was fascinating like wow you can actually build a framework for the front end to do single page applications and it's like wow that's amazing and it's so so beautiful but yeah in hindsight it's like well we could do it even better and uh, there's react and and we all in love with react so i'm i'm curious to see like what comes next yeah <laughs> yeah there's a, there's a lot of things in the works uh, i think like Different other fr- frameworks and plugins that are making things a little exciting, uh, even more exciting. I know our CTO just recently, like just today, <laughs> built something in Elm. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, yeah. I, it's gonna be fun to look into. Yeah, I just looked at the code and I was like, Elm. Elm. <laughs> okay, I'm interested. So let's rewind a little bit back to last year's React Conf. Um, yeah. They announced DraftJS. Absolutely. So what made you want to do DraftJS plugins after the announcement of DraftJS? Like, what was the exciting part about that? So let me. Quickly explain what DraftJS is. Oh yeah, please. Um, so DraftJS is a, a rich text editing framework based on an immutable model, and yeah, as you said, it was released by Facebook on the React Conf earlier this year. And what I I tried to do rich text editing a couple of times in the past, and or just doing add mentions, all that kind of stuff. It's really, really hard because you only have text area, and then you. What happened in the past a lot is like you you put stuff on top, divs, position them absolute, and and it was all like big dirty hacks. Yeah, and that was super painful. And in the end, like building a good experience was hard. And the only team that I saw that like really executed on that well was Medium, because I mean they. I think they are still the gold standard of like how to. Do yeah, I think a lot of rig- people use them as yeah. a as a standard of what exactly. their CMS looks but like. But they're still sometimes buggy. Yeah. If yeah. you, it's it's <laughs> like so it's, yeah. I don't know. I find it really fascinating that like their whole one of their core experiences is editing, and even though they fully focus on it, um, it's still hard to do, and they still have trouble sometimes. So so I struggled with this problem myself, rich text editing. And when I saw DraftJS coming out, I was like, holy moly, this is amazing. Because if they do all the hard work, abstracting all the, the yeah. um, browser differences away, and I just have to write React components and apply some strategies or, or build my own blocks with React, then that would be amazing. And so... For me, this was absolutely the biggest announcement of of the React Conf earlier this year, and then I yeah. found it super exciting. And then by the time uh, I got funded by Stripe, 
there's uh, such a thing as the open source retreat. I was right at the time doing the open source retreat. So they paid me to work full time only on my own open source projects. And that was a super nice opportunity because I felt like, okay, I just fill with, with this Draft.js thing for a week or two. Yeah. And yeah, it stuck with me. <laughs> wow. um, and Draft.js has brought in some really interesting ideas. Um, first of all, this immutable model. And that was super interesting because you basically could uh, intercept every change. And that made it really powerful because you have kind of when, when you use a Redux, you have this global state. Yeah. And then you, whenever you, do, you dispatch an action, the, the state changes and based on the reducer. But in this case, you, you, you have an, like an input form or like an input in, in React, you have this concept of like on change, yeah. and then you have to pass it down via value again. Yep. In this case, it's just on change and then editor state. But the interesting thing is that like, whenever you do a change, you get this a complete new version of this model back. It's still efficient because it uses immutable JS, which under the hood uses stack trees and and tries to to reuse memory and all that kind of stuff. So that's pretty cool, and that is super powerful. So that's why I'm, I was super excited. And second of all, like you could take this model and you could actually generate a, a JSON structure out of it, and then you could put it on the server. And compared to doing uh, rich text editing in the past, where most people just then took the HTML, and the tags, and or yeah. whatever the people created, and then dumped it into the database, I found this horrible because you have to sanitize it. Um, you cannot, like doing operations on it is, is really, really hard because you transform the stuff on your database or what you see is like you get people drop in uh, a special data into that and, and then yeah, yeah, like it's, malicious, it's weird. Like yeah. script tags and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also just uh, like when it comes to content editable, which is sort of the browser standard, all of those rich text editors have built upon, it's like that's almost a malicious piece of code in itself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Browsers are really horrible. Like just the fact that that when you press enter in content oh, yeah. editable like there's no consensus at all between any of the browsers of what actually happens like it's completely different from browser to browser if you insert a br or a new paragraph or if you extend the current tag you're in like it's completely different right yeah. and things like at a point chrome randomly started to insert a style uh, oh, line really? height equals 1.5 on random elements. Like just just from one day to another, they released a version of Chrome that decided to start doing that. Right. So anything you had that used content editable suddenly began inserting line heights that might be completely different than the line heights of the rest of your document. And it's incredible how bad that API is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, so so Facebook's DraftJS. Open source they, project basically they takes, fix that they, yeah, yeah they fix it for us okay. so, so they, they abstract so every time you do a change uh, it actually because it uses content editable and every time you do a change in a content in HTML it will map back to the data structure and every time you change the data structure it will map back to to the content and this is super useful because then you don't have to fiddle with HTML anymore you just fiddle with the data structure on the user level or developer yeah. level and that's just that's convenient. <laughs> and uh, before we jump into the plugins aspect of what you're doing, yeah, my question is: so 
am I correct that Facebook built this out of their messaging platform? Like they were using this already somewhere else? Uh, so there's ISEC. Um, okay. And ISEC worked on this as far as I understood for the last one and a half years because Facebook exactly had this problem like how do we how do we do ad mentions how do we do hashtags all that kind of stuff so they they basically built this and eventually they extracted DraftJS out of this billing process of doing these things and Isaac was the was the guy who who did most of the work as far as I understood and that's how it happened. So why plugins then? Okay, yeah, and that's actually where, where it leads to plugins or a plugin system because DraftJS was created out of this need for for having that for inputs like comments, status updates, messaging. But the problem for me was that it is a monolithic system. So when you use DraftJS, you basically have to everything you want, every feature you have to put into this uh, one component. Yeah. And that makes it really tricky because if you have a custom block renderer and you have an image feature and if you have a sticker feature or if you have a and a YouTube feature and all these things, then you would need to in one method basically write the same code for, for handling these different cases. And so I built a couple of things with DraftJS in the in the first week and also I saw like in the first two weeks we saw a lot of like People starting to write, trying to match Medium Editor with DraftJS and building this huge code base of one to two thousand lines of code with all the features in one thing. Yeah, I've noticed some of those. And yeah? also, it's like okay. looking at them because, on the one hand, we, we definitively wanted something similar also for Netlify yeah. CMS, right? Like the same. Like I think the medium experience in terms of like how the toolbar appears and how you add new block level elements is is, is really good, right? But then every time I looked at those draft mm, versions, yeah. is like they try to take over everything, right? And, exactly. and even handle image uploads on the like some of them even try to handle sort of the server side of that and what like I think that's definitively a much more powerful approach to find a way to decouple those different things and yeah. and and have a solid extensible editor. Exactly, and that's where where we started to the idea came from. Like, why not abstract it and and build a wrap around DraftJS, the the editor component itself. So we we had like we looked into either do it with higher order components or do it with a wrapper component. Okay. And in the end, the wrapper component has, was a little bit more straightforward and has some advantages that you can do ref and you can. You can use this ref to, for example, set focus, and then you can expose the same thing as the editor has to the to the wrapper as well, and you basically pipe it through. So there's a couple of benefits using the wrapper, and yeah, then we decided to go with the wrapper and and basically built the system which automatically maps the the DraftJS properties that you can use to do custom things like custom blocks or so to use this and and like basically go through all the plugins and take every method and then combine them and, and run through them. And yeah, yeah. that's how a plugin so the, architecture was Yeah, born. so the architecture itself, so if I install Draft.js on my React component or whatever, and I have Draft.js there, I want to add Draft.js plugins, am I installing separate plugins each time I want a separate plugin, or install the entire architecture? like? So what you need is you cannot use the the DraftJS editor by a, a component. I mean okay. you can use all the features from from DraftJS itself. Yeah. But there's this one wrapper component which is the basically the plugin editor. Okay. And this is just a, a wrapper around the original editor, and then okay, you gotcha. get the that allows you to pass in plugins as a property. 
Okay. And the plugins you install separately. So it's like separate repos because that was the whole idea. So like some people want to have a mention feature. Some people want uh, to have a mention feature and an image feature. Some people only want to have the image feature. Yeah. And that's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing some of the same sort of challenges in, in, in terms of the CMS where we also want like yeah. the main. So the CMS is based on the idea that you have different fields, like each content type have a list of fields and each field has an associated widget, right? So it could be like just a string widget or an image widget or a relations widget or a markdown widget, right? And obviously for the markdown widget is where we used like a, where we needed a, a rich text editor that, that we felt was solid enough to both be able to switch between a markdown mode and a rich text mode. And that would not, like, we definitively didn't want something that worked directly with some DOM HTML representation, exactly. also because I've been there before and <laughs> I know how painful <laughs> yeah. it is. And so you, you have actually a lot of experience in rich text editing, too. And I don't yeah, think I've, for I've the, pretty much tried all of them, I yeah. think, in, in real products. <laughs> yeah, and for the listeners, I don't think we actually explained, Netlify is actually making yeah. a CMS yeah. to build yeah, on top of Yeah, I should explain our, a little, like, yeah. Netlify is in. In itself, Netlify is like an automation platform for, for Jamstack sites, right? Where you just connect a GitHub repository to Netlify and every time you push to Git, we'll run whatever build tool you're using, run the build and do an atomic deploy to it, to our content delivery network of the result. And that's one of the big use cases here is just all the, the sites built around static site generators and so on. And those are amazing for developers, right? Like way nicer to work with something like Hugo than something like WordPress. It's much nicer to have everything in a Git repository instead of having most of the most important stuff in some database somewhere. But the challenge for a lot of people is like, what do we do with the non-technical uses? What do we do with the marketing department that needs to be able to go and and update yeah. the site every day and that definitively won't be firing up Atom and editing Markdown through <laughs> GitHub, right? It's just it's yeah. not going to happen. <laughs> so one of the ways we're tackling that is by building an open source CMS, uh, Netlify CMS. That's not directly, like, it's not tied to Netlify in any way. It's just tied to the idea of all your content living as uh, structured data in a Git repository. Cool. And then being able to give non-technical editors an, an intuitive interface for going in, like creating a new post or updating an author or whatever you want to, to change and give them like a side-by-side preview, a little like ghost or something like that where you have like the the fields for the content you need to fill out on the one side and then a preview of how will this content more or less look like once you hit publish and, and it goes live. And then when you hit publish, we actually keep track of content in like a, a, each publish can go into sort of a branch that then gets some associated metadata with comments and so on so you can actually have an editorial workflow that's similar to what developers do with pull requests nice. but just for for really non-technical people, right? And once you finally say publish this, it creates a commit in GitHub, and uh, that triggers a build with whatever system you're using for that, and a new version of the site goes live. And there, of course, we needed to fit in like the actual editing component for Markdown, which is like one of the most important parts. And yeah. I've built two commercial CMSs before, so. Uh, I've dealt with this a lot and I've tried, like I have a lot of experience with like the old generation of, of rich text editors like Tiny, MCE and CK Editor and th- that whole batch of content editable based editors that are all pretty horrible in many ways. <laughs> yeah. And 
it's been really interesting to see sort of a whole new generation of rich text that yeah. has come out recently. Like DraftJS is one of them. Uh, Mayin Havebeck uh, that made Code Mirror is working on another one called Prose Mirror, yeah. which and then Thirty Seven Signals has one that. I can't remember the name of that one off the bat of my head. And then Slate is is out as well, where where all of them has in common that they finally put an abstraction layer between the DOM and the editor and have this internal structured representation of the document you're editing instead of just having essentially the DOM being that representation, which creates so many problems otherwise. We eventually looked a lot at both DraftJS and Slate, yeah. and haven't like I mean, it's not a very easy <laughs> I, I decision. I love Slate, by the way. And I think what what, <laughs> what drove us to Slate and eventually was was that it seems like its internal representation of the document is more flexible than 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 DraftJS presentation. Um, I can give you a little bit in the I, I know a little bit about the background story on Slate. Yeah, so, what's, the, awesome. what's the difference between that and DraftJS? Okay. So Ian Storm Taylor is is the creator of, of Slate. And he was there very early on when, when DraftJS was released. And there's this Slack channel where, where a lot of people, I think about eight, nine hundred hang out and constantly ask questions and, and post answers. And he was there very early on. And uh, he started to build a couple of things with DraftJS as well. And what happened is like when I built like the, the initial version of the DraftJS plugin system. He actually gave a lot of feedback, and I would say a lot of the like good decisions in DraftJS plugins are uh, because he provided feedback, yeah. and that that was super helpful. Eventually, and that was a very interesting move. I think DraftJS was not moving fast enough, and and they had like DraftJS is, is is like I think they deal with it like every other Facebook pro- uh, project. They focus on the use case they have. Yeah, and then they know how to maintain that, and they know how to to work with that, and that's that's their core focus. I think it's changing a little bit now with React. They also do server side rendering and so, although they don't do it by themselves. Yeah, but still, uh, that was still the case with DraftJS. And I think what what for Ian, it was not like fast enough. And actually, I have to say, I don't know what his personal ambition was, but like he created Slate, and I think it's it's very much inspired by by after DraftJS came out, but he. He also took the model from from other yeah. Um, systems, and yeah, if it, the core system also looks very very similar to like what DraftJS plugins does. Okay. Um, and he even says on the website it's it's like inspired by DraftJS and DraftJS plugins and ProseMirror and Quill yeah. and all these systems. And I think I haven't done much with it yet, but the API to me looks more like approachable. Yeah. Um, and. On the other hand, to be fair, for the people who, who built DraftJS, I think he has a, a good position to start because he saw the, the final thing. He worked with, with DraftJS for a couple of months and then figured out like, okay, then you have all the lessons learned. And then if you have the motivation and ambition to start something, you basically can, can build a whole new thing with. Yeah, you start with, from way up here yeah, instead exactly. of down where DraftJS has Absolutely. to start. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I think without DraftJS, Slate would not be a thing. Yeah. Um, but still, it's like, it's amazing. I think it's, and maybe you can tell more. I heard it's, it's not fully fleshed out and a bit buggy in some cases, but yeah. I think that's just a matter of time. I think so too. I mean, it's obviously not a rich text editor that's been out in the wild for super long and been yeah. battle tested by all the weird edge cases and so on, right? And we we definitively also find that we we're putting in a lot of work to really make our editor component on top of it, right? It's it's mm-hmm. 
it's not like you just plug it in and then it's done, right? But um, <laughs> but I also think it's as you say, right? It's like obviously it's taking some really good architectural decisions yeah. and fundamental decisions, I and it's an active project. Enough, yeah. And I think there's a lot of people seeing that this is like I think Gitbook is is using it as well now, working on it, right? Okay, and I cool. think I think there'll be quite a bit of uptake around it, and and I also think it's on a on a good track. So with Drashfaith plugins, I was going to ask, can you integrate that into Slate if it's built? The similarly? API is way too different. Way too so different. Okay. I, I, I'm thinking about like actually uh, with a friend in Europe. I'm I'm doing like every couple of weeks a pair programming session. So we probably build a mentioned plugin for for uh, Slate. Yeah. Um, Could you could probably pour all the same plugins. Yeah. You'd, you'd the have to the be benefit like, is that I have to experience with all the plugins, and you know the edge cases and, yeah. and so on. Yeah. So that's why, like, it's clearly a benefit. But on the other hand, it's still work. And yeah. It's it's just a matter of like time. Yeah. If if I would if I could clone myself, like I would dedicate one nick to yeah. build out Slate plugins. But <laughs> that's yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see because, um, like you said, Matt, there's like a, a more CMSs or just yeah. rich text editors that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they, they take a Redux approach where they absorb. Like Facebook will absorb some of the technology from Slate, and maybe things can be mm-hmm. in parity eventually. So I don't know. I'm not sure how. What, what do you mean? So what a year and a half ago, we had so many different yeah. Flux implementations. Oh, like this. And I know we don't have tons of DraftJS implementations yeah. at this moment. I'm not even sure. I'm actually curious. Are there a lot of people using DraftJS like in production for the, in their code as well? I mean, the the most significant uh, number is probably the, the people on Slack. Okay, there's like yeah, a couple hundreds of them. I, I think it's. I could even look it up, but I, I think it's about seven, eight, nine, maybe even nine hundred people okay. just being in that chat room. Yeah. Um, so and yeah, I, I know enough teams all over around the globe, small, medium-sized companies using DraftJS, and it even goes to the point where I feel like uncomfortable about like architectural decisions. So, so for example, there's one guy who tweeted, I don't know, it was a month or two ago. They had to, they were on an Angular code base. But they decided to pull in these dependencies: React, Immutable JS, Draft JS, just to get the Mention plugin, <laughs> because they they looked at uh, like a lot of other stuff in in the Angular space, in React space, and so on. And it's like that's the only thing that really does what we what we want. And it's it's really a pity, <laughs> but we want to have the feature and we have to move on. And yeah. eventually, we might migrate to React. It's not happening right now, but yeah, we we need that feature and we need that right now. And nobody else is providing it in this quality. And then, yeah, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Why? Why is this the only way to go? But on the other hand, I'm obviously proud that they're like so confident in in this plugin. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I'm super impressed with uh, your work, and I'm super impressed with like what DraftJS is, and even Slate. I'm very interested yeah. in jumping in there. I, I hope they, they, there's some cross pollination happening now. Like yeah. that, that uh, I, I don't know if it will eventually merge. I think with two players out there only that, and they're way too different. Yeah, but I hope that basically the ideas that that uh, a lot more ideas are currently coming from from Slate. And I think that I hope that they come back to DraftJS again, and then again that like this also brings ideas back to Slate, and that it's like I want to see a better ecosystem. I don't care who wins. 
Yeah. Um, I just want to see, see, like in three years, rich ecstatic thing must be a no brainer. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what I want to see. <laughs> I really hope so too. <laughs> it's been so long yeah. and it's like such a fundamental part of, of any system that has user input, right? And it's so painful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully people who listen to this podcast will get excited about it. And so, DraftJS plugins, it's open sourced. Absolutely. Um, I think it's open source github.com slash draftjs plugins slash draftjs plugins. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Yeah, always with draft dash js dash plugins. Okay, cool. You can find it. Awesome. Yeah, I hope people jump on board and get excited about that. And then Netlify CMS, same thing, open yeah. sourced as well. Yeah. Totally yeah. open source. In Where the, can I check it out? I uh, GitHub, it. Netlify slash Netlify dash CMS. Awesome. And you have a demo up there as well? Um, we're working right now, I think, in the transition from Ember to React. The link to the demo is gone, but it'll be up there like probably next okay. week. Um, but the yeah. the, cool. the whole code base is there. And I think like one one of the interesting things is that it uses this concept of, of backend, where GitHub's API is one of the backends. We have another little a service called Netlify Git API that will just that you can run from a local Git repository and it will sort of give you GitHub's API for your local repository so that you can use from another for another backend. But then we also have a little just in memory backend that's just like a fake repository in in, in memory. So cool. so you can use that for the demo and when developing just seeing like how how do I make a widget that just works on this yeah. without actually having to go round trips to GitHub and so on. Yeah. I think one lesson that I learned for um, building open source project is like you need to have a really good demo. Yeah. So people yeah. people must be able to try it out. Or if it's if it's backend stuff, then at least like show exactly what it does and and how you can yeah. help people with gifts. Um, yeah, it's in the <laughs> yeah. end. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, gifts um, gifts help a lot because the the time span people are gonna look at stuff yeah. is very brief and yeah, yeah basically you have to market this as a product. Yeah. If you wanna when you open source project to be successful or let's see successful is maybe the wrong term. It's like being more widespread, which helps you because you get more feedback and more contributions, then like you have to market it as a product. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Like we've sort of been developing it like in the open but fairly quiet uh, until yeah. now. And then we have like a pretty big project that's uh, going to be using the CMS uh, that I think we'll go live like end of this month, the start of cool. next month or so on, right? So around that time we'll also start like uh, pushing out more of documentation and demos and examples yeah. and so on around it. Yeah, keeping documentation up to date is hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. There's, really there's so many tools out there. Well, cool. So Oh, in this conversation, I didn't, we didn't get to mention it too, but I wanted to mention you're at Serverless, yeah. and Serverless does a really good job with their gifts too, yeah. like making me understand exactly what I need to do and what sort of output I'm, I'm looking for to see. So, thumbs up to Serverless as well. Yeah, Austin. Uh, uh, nowadays, still Austin, our CEO, does most of the gifts. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Well, he's, he's really good at that. Got a good and, gift game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's. I, I think he's proud of that, and and that's fair enough because he does a good. Good, uh, good job there. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So uh, I want to transition to the picks. Uh, so anything you guys are jamming with, uh, anything that gets you going. So you do a lot of open source. Anything that gets you excited about it. Feel free to share. Nick, if you have something ready to go as a guest, I'll let you go first. Uh, one thing I do with serverless is I get the opportunity to play with GraphQL. So we do a couple of experiments uh, building out the future platform, and yeah, we decided to use GraphQL there and. 
I love it, and it's so good. And that's also kind of an announcement because yesterday we started to serverless um, use from. It's we we going to release a 1.0 very soon that changed yeah. a couple of things, and we upgraded the serverless GraphQL kind of starter kit or boilerplate to this version one and like added uh, Relay and Apollo so you can choose between these two clients and yeah basically finished up finished it up yesterday and released it uh, probably do a marketing push or so in, in two weeks but like, I'm, I'm super excited about this because what you can do is you can take this thing you can. It takes like a couple minutes to to set up the initial project, uh, set up the project, and you you have it ready. You can deploy it, and it's production ready because it runs on AWS Lambda, which theoretically scales indefinitely. And then you could simply for the resolvers wrap your REST API. Yeah, and that's super powerful because then as a front end team, you just basically put GraphQL in front of your REST API. And then have all the power of GraphQL. All the like, you don't need to overfetch, you don't need to underfetch. You you just fetch whatever you need, yeah. and it's production ready because AWS Lambda and and scales um, amazingly. And I I'm super excited about this. And yeah, in general, do more with GraphQL. Really enjoy enjoy this concept of like just fetch what you need, and awesome. I love it. Yeah, I'm gonna check it out. Yeah. That sounds really exciting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm also interested to see like for our CMS now that GitHub uh, launched uh, a GraphQL based API yeah. for all of GitHub, which is like we still haven't quite figured out like how well does it fit with what we're doing, but it, that's really interesting as well. So there's a lot, yeah. there's a lot of interesting things going on around GraphQL. Yeah, it's totally exciting. And the second thing is probably getting more into functional programming. So I. Like once in two weeks, I do a couple of hours pair programming with Stephen Noble from Stripe and Teresa from Denmark. And we just do, like, the last couple of weeks, we filled a little bit with, or the last couple of months, actually, we filled with Elm, and now we have a pretty good understanding. Okay. Actually, Teresa works with Elm full time really? nowadays. Yeah. There's, I think the company is called Opid or. I, okay. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah I wasn't aware yeah, anybody I else was using it. Upbeat is a Danish company, so that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Matt's um, Danish, by the way. I don't know. Yeah, ah, I'm Danish okay. too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that, that is the circle closes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so Elm is. I mean, React has a lot of these functional approaches and and Cyclejs and and RxJS, but in a language like Elm or Reason, you cannot bail out. <laughs> and Right now, it's more of an, to me personally, it's like an interesting challenge to, or like shift my, my thinking paradigms. But yeah, I can definitely see this being the future that we either work with Reason or with Elm in the future. That could be maybe the next thing after React if it gets yeah. traction. Would be interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you don't mind, Matt. I was going to segue because I was going to pick the Elm community yeah. um, as one of yeah. my picks. Um, recently, they made a, a blog post about their meetups. I don't know if you were able to go to any of the meetups since you've been yeah, here. Yeah, it's been there a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, so they wrote a blog post of how they basically are trying to build a community differently. So rather than doing a talk at their meetups, they actually do hack nights. Yeah. So that you could actually just learn Elm and get your questions answered from like Evan, who's the creative Elm and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to shout out to them. Um, I'm also excited about Elm as well. I haven't, I've done one tutorial so far. Um, I would really like to also get into the community as well. Um, functional programming, since React is like the entry 
door exactly, yeah. to functional programming. Like I didn't know it was like a thing I needed to know, and now it's a thing I need <laughs> to know. So um, yeah, that was my my first pick, and my second pick is actually um, off the beaten path of what we've been talking about so far. But um, some people know most of my picks are around Kanye West. I'm not going to pick him today. <laughs> my pick today is Chance the Rapper, though. He's actually on tour with Kanye West at the moment, awesome. and he's 23 year old, just turned 23. He has his first CD just came out in the last few months, and the guy's phenomenal. He's also a different. It's a different take on rap, so I think his his approach is going to change. I think it's going to change the industry uh, as far as like what's the next thing after you know last ten years of rap. So I think we're going to see more and more people who are going to start rapping like Chance the Rapper, which is a very generic name, but yeah. Matt, do you have any picks? Uh, well, mine would also be like my mine would be David, our CTO, is a little new project uh, in Elm, uh, a little <laughs> open source project to like. Um, be able to test uh, Netlify's redirect and re- rewrite rules and header rules and so on in the browser and like put in the input format and make sure they behave right and so on. But uh, I'm I'm looking forward to play around with that, especially since I've I've done quite a bit of work in Haskell uh, and oh, I, I actually still have like four production services running in Haskell wow. as part of a, a WebPop, my old product. And Elm is really like Haskell in the browser without the laziness kind of. Is I'm looking yeah. into playing around with that. How how is it the 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 laziness can get you in some weird really weird cases with Haskell? Or? <clears throat> it's both one of the big strengths of Haskell and one of the big like challenges. It it okay. it make it means that you can do things in a very declarative way sometimes, mm-hmm. where you just like define an infinite list of stuff and then take a part of it and apply operations. And since it's all lazy, it doesn't matter that it's an infinite list because yeah. only the part that you actually touch gets evaluated, right? So, so there's a lot of things that that you can do also in terms of of thinking as as operations, just of streams on lazy lists and things like that. The thing is that sometimes it can be like normally the great advantage of Haskell is that it's very easy to reason about state and so on. Mm-hmm. But laziness can sometimes be a little harder to reason about because you you sort of lose touch of when does something get evaluated. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. some of the common performance issues that people run into in Haskell can be when they when they deal wrong with laziness. So so they end up passing along a lot of uh, internally Haskell stores everything as funks that are like placeholder for something that needs to be evaluated and you end up generating a lot of those instead of actually generating values that gets passed around and so on and you can get interesting space leaks and stuff like that. Um, So it can be a little tricky but it's also it's also very it can also be really powerful. The ELM compiler by the way is written in Haskell. Yeah. yeah, and the inspiration in the whole syntax and everything is very obvious. Like when you yeah. look at Elm, it it feels very familiar coming from Haskell. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm gonna conclude this Haskell podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick, I just want to thank you again for coming on the podcast and share about DraftJS plugins and what you've done and how you got here, and also the little tidbit that you gave us with the GraphQL and Serverless. Um, hopefully, people will listen to this and jump on that. Yeah, um, I'm I'm excited about this. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again, man. Thanks for having me. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 